Our speaker for this hour is Steve Higginbotham, and uh, Steve is, uh, is a native of West Virginia. He's been preaching for the past 35 years. Um, he's a 1984 graduate of Freed. Him and his wife, Kim, who's also here with us, uh, have four children together. Uh, Steve is presently preaching at the Carnes Congregation in Knoxville, and he's also an instructor at the Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies. Um, I've had the privilege of hearing Steve on multiple occasions, either at PTP or here. I always walk away uh, closer to Jesus. Uh, I feel like there's few things that you could say about a speaker than that. Um, God has blessed him, and we're going to be blessed by hearing what he has to say. Um, on a personal level, I've only met Steve a few times, but um, he's a funny guy. He's very personal. He uh, is very personable as well, uh, and he's very likable. And so uh, we have a, a, a great opportunity to learn from Steve on an interesting topic, Herman Who. You may not even know what that is, but after it, uh, you'll realize that this is perhaps uh, could be one of the most vital subjects that we talk about because of so much hinges upon it. So I won't infringe any more on that. Steve, come preach the word to us, brother. Brett uh, called me a funny guy, and uh, his dad yesterday said I was a freak of nature. Um, you know, what, uh, Denny was in Knoxville not too long ago, and he was speaking over on our lectureship, and uh, he got up and said that, he made that comment, that because I'm so tall, I'm a freak of nature. And uh, there's, a, there's a lady there that is a, uh, well, She's become a friend of mine and very protective of me. And when he got done calling me a freak of nature, as soon as his lesson was over, she ran up to him in front of me and said, Steve, don't listen to that little twerp. She, he called him a twerp. But anyway, I said, we were just joking. It was okay. He wasn't really serious, but I don't think. Uh, but anyway, good. glad you're here. And uh, I have some things to talk about this morning. I hope you'll find really practical and helpful. The topic, I've had a couple people say, Herman who? What, what is that about? And, and they've asked if that was my choice or if it was assigned to me. And uh, it was assigned, and I'm guessing I'm doing the right thing uh, mm -hmm. that they intended me for, uh, to do. But um, here's what it's about. There are words that have changed uh, through the years, or at least come into popularity through the years. My name's Steve. In 1962, Steve was the, I think, the fourth most common boy's name, uh, you know, Today, Steve, you don't hear very many Steves. I think it's like 400 and something in popularity. There are, uh, you know, ways they chart uh, the growth and development. Some words uh, swell in their use and some decline in their use. And uh, there's a word that I became familiar with. It was 1980. It was the very first time I ever heard this word. And uh, the word was hermeneutics. Now, how many of you have heard of hermeneutics? A few people. Some of you, it's totally foreign. It was totally foreign to me in 1980, but I had a class at Fried Hardeman called Biblical Hermeneutics. And I thought, wow, I got to learn how to pronounce that. That's kind of cool, though. I mean, I was in college and, and uh, doing college things. I had hours and stuff that was totally different than high school. And I couldn't wait to come home for like fall break or Christmas break and, and somebody say, so how's it going? What, what are some classes you're taking? I, I could drop 
biblical hermeneutics, you know, like, whoa, that would impress them. And then they'd ask me, well, what's biblical hermeneutics? And then I could say, well, it's the science of um, understanding or interpreting, uh, exegeting scripture. Oh, that sounds pretty cool, too. You know, I'm sounding really impressive. Here's what hermeneutics is. It's just how you understand the Bible or how you interpret the Bible. That word has been around a long time. It traces way back, but it was hardly ever used in any culture or society. But around 1980, in the 1980s, if you go on the Internet, you can chart word usage. And in the early 80s, it just started shooting up. Everybody started using the word hermeneutic. And um, now today, I mean, it is, it is very commonplace. We don't talk about interpreting the Bible anymore. We talk about biblical hermeneutics. And maybe that's because it has an air of education to it. I don't know. But that's, that's what we're talking about this morning. How do we understand the Bible? Can there be some principles that that if I can put in my pocket and just keep on reserve and know, hey, that's not right uh, because of these principles. I want to be able to understand the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, Paul said to Timothy, study to do what? Show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we can rightly divide God's word, we can mess it up. We can do it wrongly. And so we need to give diligence or we need to study so that we can properly understand the Bible. The Bible has to be interpreted. It it has to be understood. And there are sometimes barriers to understanding a passage. We have to have some principles in hand, some tools that we can use to make sense of the Bible. Like, for instance, what did Jesus say? If your right eye offends you, what? Pluck it out. Have you ever sinned with your eyes? Yeah. How come you have two eyes still? Or do you just not follow God? You see, there, there are things we have to understand about the Bible to interpret what was really meant. Let, let me give you an example. You can use this one on your moms and dads when you leave here if you want. Ask them a trivia question. Ask them, you know, if you get this right, you know, or if you get it wrong, you have to buy something for me. I don't know, you know, uh, but, but you'll win this one. True or false? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? True or false? Moses was the daughter of Pharaoh's son. Moses was the daughter of Pharaoh's son. True or false? How many of you say true? Okay. How many of you say false? Do you know that the answer is true? It's true. It's how you interpret the statement. How you slow down and listen. Listen, if I, that statement can be understood in a correct way. You may be saying, wait, Moses can't be the daughter because he was a, a boy. You know, Moses was a, a man. So, and he can't be, it wasn't Pharaoh's son, it was Pharaoh's daughter. So, that, no, that can't be right. Well, yes, it can. Listen, Moses was the daughter of Pharaoh's son. 
Do, do you get it now? Do, do you see it? Or are you still scratching your head? Moses, if instead of saying the daughter of Pharaoh, what if I said Pharaoh's daughter? That's the same thing, right? Moses was Pharaoh's daughter's son. Oh, you know, now we get it. You know, see, it just needs, it needs to be interpreted. So there are statements in the Bible that we can look at, or a person can say, and we can totally miss the true meaning of it. We need to have some principles, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. Back a few years ago, there was a guy by the name of Robert Bork. He was, an, he was nominated to be a Supreme Court justice, and, and you guys probably just witnessed Kavanaugh and all the battle about, are we going to let him be Supreme Court justice or not? Back in the day when that, those kinds of battles you know, uh, just started, Bork came up to be a new Supreme Court justice. And there were battles all about him. And he was eventually rejected because he was a conservative. But Bork wrote a book that I found really interesting. And the only reason I bought the book, I'm not political at all, but the name of the book was The Tempting of America. And here's what he did in this book. He wanted to discuss constitutional hermeneutics. How do we interpret the Constitution? And the principles that he used are the principles that every one of us use when it comes to the Bible. How do we interpret the Bible? And let me give you some things that he talked about in this book. He said, number one, there are some people who say that the Constitution can't even be understood. It's too old to understand. It's too far removed from us. We'll never know the original intent of those who framed the Constitution. Guys, that's what people are saying about the Bible today. The Bible's too far away from us. Who, who can know what Paul really meant when he wrote the things that he wrote or what Jesus meant when he said the things that he said? Um, Bork said the Constitution is being challenged by today people today who say that the Constitution has to change with society. You know, we're not who we were 250, 300 years ago. We're a different culture today, and so our Constitution hasn't changed. That's what we're hearing people say about the Bible today. The Bible has to change. Homosexuality, 50 years ago, everybody knew that was a sin, but our culture has changed, and we can't go around saying homosexuality is a sin. That's, that's homophobic today. And so we've got to change what the Bible says about that topic. Uh, he mentioned that um, there were those who think the Constitution shouldn't be a guide for our life because, after all, why should we let a bunch of dead guys govern how I live today? That's what people say about the Bible. Why should we let people who lived 2,000 years ago who have long been dead and don't live in a culture like we live in, why should they govern how we live today? You see, the point is, and he went on, uh, should the, the Constitution shouldn't be read as a law, but as guidelines. The Constitution is what the judge says it is. And those are the same things that people are saying about the Bible today. My point is this. Hermeneutics is just a broad term. That means this is how we're supposed to understand, interpret the Bible. And it's not just a biblical field. It's a... A constitutional field, any field of study, there are things we have to understand in order to do that field of study well. So here's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to give you at least three principles 
that if you know these things, you're well on your way to properly understanding the Bible. The Bible's a big book. And, and for a lot of people, they'll come and say, how are we ever going to? How are we ever going to understand this book? I mean, it's so big and uses so many strange words, and, and everybody sees it differently anyway. You know, everybody doesn't really see the Bible differently. I, I've heard people say, we can't understand the Bible. Nobody sees it alike. Really, that's not true. I think just about everybody understands the Bible, and we see it alike. But it's human opinions and traditions that we divide over. Can I give you an example? Um, God spoke to Moses through a what? A burning bush, right? Do you know of anybody that would say, I believe in the Bible, but I don't believe God spoke to Moses through a burning bush? No, we all agree on the Bible. The Bible says that, and everybody believes that. But here's where we would run into problem. What if I said, and that bush was a rose bush? Oh, wait. Now, I don't know if it's a rose bush. I always pictured it as kind of a sagebrush, you know, rolling across the desert. You see, that's not, there's a disagreement now. But that's not over what the Bible said. That's over human tradition. Does the Bible say that believers in Jesus should be baptized? It says that. Everybody believes that. You can talk to anybody in the religious world and say, should a believer in Jesus be baptized? They're going to tell you yes. Well, can we baptize non-believers? Like, what about babies that haven't believed yet? Some would say yes, some would say no, but there's a difference, but that difference isn't over what the Bible says. It's over the opinion of man. Do you see what I'm saying? We agree with the Bible. People do see the Bible alike. Where we differ is when we introduce things that the Bible doesn't talk about. That's what we disagree over. You see, the Bible was given to us in words, and we've been using words for a long time. I mean, uh, what you're probably mama, daddy were the first words that you spoke, and that's been a few years ago, right? Uh, it was always a race in my house. I, I wanted our children to say daddy before they said mama. And, uh, you know, I would, I would uh, work on that with them. But anyway, the, we've been talking, and we do a pretty good job understanding each other. And so when we have the Bible, what we have are words that we're pretty good at, and they tell us a message, and we're pretty good at talking to people and understanding what people say. So what we really need to do is just apply some principles of everyday life that you have learned from the time you were one year old and apply it to the Bible. That's hermeneutics. That's the biblical doctrine of hermeneutics. Let me give you an illustration. And this was my first introduction that I remember, one of my early ones, to hermeneutics. I guess I was maybe eight years old. And uh, there was a little drugstore in the town that I lived in. It was called Citizen's Drugstore. 
And Citizens Drugstore, it was one of these, it was right on the road where I walked home from school, and we would go in there and we'd buy gum and those kind of things. But in this store, they had a Tonka truck. You know Tonka trucks, the yellow, the metal, the... the, the I never had a Tonka truck when I was a kid. I mean, they were expensive. Like, this one was $10, but in 1970, $10, and I looked this up, is equivalent to like $65 would be today. So it's like you want to go to the store and buy a toy for $65. And my mom and dad would say, no, yeah, that's too much money. We're not, you can get one of these cheap trucks, you know. But I wanted a Tonka truck. You know, I wanted one of these metal ones that was so cool and actually worked and all this. Well, they had a Tonka truck for $10. And I run home and I tell my dad, Dad, man, i got to have. All my friends have. All my friends have a Tonka truck. I'm the only one I know that doesn't have a Tonka truck. I didn't think it'd work. But the next day, Dad said, hey, get in the car with me. We drove down to Citizens Drug Store. He said, go in and get your Tonka truck. Wow, I'm going to get a Tonka truck. And he gave me a $10 bill, and, and I went in, and I was going to buy this Tonka truck, and I went over to where it was, and it was gone. Somebody took my Tonka truck. And, and so I started looking all over all the shelves. I went through every aisle in the store. I thought, maybe somebody misplaced it, and, or have you ever hidden something so you can come back later and find it? Maybe somebody did that to it. And so I searched that whole store. My Tonka trunk was, truck was gone. And so as I was walking out of the store dejected, I walked by boxes of baseball cards. They came in packs of 10 cards with a little piece of bubble gum in it, and they were 10 cents a, a pack. And so I started doing math. 10 cents a pack, I could buy 100 packs of baseball cards for my 10 bucks. So I bought 100 packs of baseball cards, and I, I was really proud. I mean, they, they gave me a whole box I've unopened. I mean, it was still just in a box. Gave me that, and I took it out to the car, sat down, and Dad said, well, did you get it? And I said, no. And he said, well, what's in the bag? And I said, well, baseball cards? Well, okay, well, where's my change? I spent $10. That's like 60 bucks on baseball cards. I, I bought... I spent it all on baseball cards. I found out at the age of eight that I didn't have permission to go buy baseball cards. Nowhere did my dad say, do not buy baseball cards with those $10. He said, buy the Tonka truck with this $10. I took it upon myself to say, well, he didn't say I couldn't. And I found out really quickly that that didn't give me permission. Um, that was my introduction to hermeneutics. I didn't know the word at the time, but I knew the, the principle. And I knew he was right in the first place. I was eight years old, and I understood the concept that I'm not allowed to do something without authority that I had to have permission. I knew I was wrong. Oh, I played dumb. And I said, yeah, but you didn't say I couldn't. I, I said that, and I learned better. Uh, but uh, th that's principle number one, and, and it's this. We have to respect the silence of the scriptures.
And I'm going to use that accommodatively. I don't like the expression as it's stated. I think what we have to do is respect the authority of scriptures. But we'll use that in accommodative sense, and, and we can talk about that later if you want. But how one understands the silence of the scriptures is one of the most important matters to understanding the Bible correctly and interpreting the Bible correctly and, and being done with a whole lot of division in the religious world. Do you know what happened in Churches of Christ in the year 1906? Does anybody know? There, there was a division. Um, Christians had been together, worshiping together for a number of years, and then some churches began to, well, to bring in instruments into their worship. And there were some Christians who were saying, we can't do that. That's, we're not authorized to do that. And there were others that were saying, no, it's, it's good. We lived under a motto, a common motto, that said, um, speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible's silent. And both sides agreed with that motto. But they misunderstood the principle that we're talking about right now. See, if I were living in 1906, here's what I would have said. We're the, we need to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible's silent. Nowhere does the Bible say we're allowed to use instruments, so let's not use them. <coughs> They would say, hey, we're to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible's silent. And the Bible nowhere says we can't, so we need to be silent about forbidding it. You see, we use the same principle, but approach it from different directions. So here's the question. Is silence in God's word, and again, I don't like the way I'm saying this, but is silence in God's word permissive or prohibitive? When God tells us to do something and then is silent on something else, do we have the right to do that something else or are we prohibited from doing that something else? Let's let the Bible answer that because that's going to be a... Well, can we, can we baptize babies? Can we have instrumental music? in our worship, can we have a pope? Where's the, where's the verse that says we can't have a pope? The Bible's silent on that. So does that mean that we're allowed to have a pope or that we shouldn't have a pope? Can we pray to Mary instead of God and count on her to answer our prayers instead of the Father answering our prayers? Where does the Bible say we can't pray to Mary? You see, there are people that, uh, that believe those things, and we get to this principle. How am I to understand the silence of the Scriptures? Do they tell me, no, don't do this? Or do they tell me, hey, it's all fair game. It's okay to do. Well, let's let the Bible answer that. In your Bible, turn to Jeremiah. I want you to look this up. And this is a passage that I think is seldom used, but I think is one of the most clear passages dealing with this principle of when the Bible's silent about something, are we allowed or not allowed to do that thing? Here's, here's what is going on. In, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 3, the Lord says, or thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I'll cause you to dwell in this place. So God says, guys, you need to change your ways. You need to fix some things. 
You're doing some things wrong. You need to amend your ways. Well, what is it that they needed to amend? If you go on over to verse 31, we're told they have built high places to Tophat, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. They, they were offering animals or human <laughs> sacrifice. They were giving their sons and daughters and offering them as burnt offerings to this false deity. And, and listen why he says this was so wrong. But listen to the reason he gives for it being wrong. You're doing this which I did not command. <laughs> nor did it even come into my heart. I never in the world thought you'd do that. I never commanded you to do that. And it was the fact that he hadn't commanded it. That was the basis upon which it was forbidden. You see, I don't, ha- I don't get to say, if I was an Israelite, I couldn't have turned to Jeremiah and said, hey, Jeremiah, where did God say we can't offer our sons or daughters? They couldn't do that. There's this principle when God is silent on the matter, we don't have the right to add. We don't have the right to to go forward and and do what is not authorized. Uh, Same thing in uh, Numbers chapter 8. There's the establishment of the Old Testament priesthood. From what tribe did you have to come to be an Old Testament priest? That priest was what? Or that tribe was the Levites. Okay. But where did God say, if you're from Judah, you can't be a priest? Where did he say, if you're from Issachar, you cannot be a priest? He didn't say it. He just gave authority for Levi to be priest. And that excluded everybody else. They weren't authorized to do it. Uh, Silence about the other tribes forbade them from stepping up and, and taking that role. So, and here's the practical side of this, and and this is what happens if we don't get this principle right. Here's the principle. I have to have authority for what I do. And if God is silent about something, that doesn't give me the right to do it. I have to have authority where he says, you can do it. There was a guy, a, a preacher in the Lord's church, who was taking the position, we don't need authority to act. And he was asked a question, so would you be against offering animal sacrifices in church on Sunday morning? Here's his response to that question. If you were honestly from your heart engaging in this act of worship to express a genuine thanksgiving to your God, and you believed this was acceptable to him, and it was done in a way that none of your brethren were caused to stumble, and none were, uh, uh, who were lost were hindered from being drawn to the Lord. And if you didn't seek to bind this practice on others, then I would find no reason to condemn your worshipful expression. This is a gospel preacher. And he said, you know what? If we want to worship God by moving the stuff off the Lord's table... And let's, let's throw in a lamb up there and slit in its throat and doing all that kind of stuff. It'd be okay. Because after all, where does the Bible say we can't? That's his reasoning. And that's where this kind of reasoning leads. The silence of the Scriptures. If God has not given us permission to do something, we're not allowed to do it. 
And that's how the Bible itself interprets it. So we can't have a pope because the Bible's silent about having a pope. We, we can't pray to Mary because the Bible's never authorized us to pray to Mary. We can't baptize babies because the Bible never told us to do that. The, the principle of silence. Let me give you the next one. The, the principle of context. We have to understand context if we're to understand the Bible. Um, let, let me, here are four things that we need to ask when it comes to context. Number one, who is speaking? If I don't understand that, I'm going to misunderstand the Bible. Because in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 25, it says, Jesus did miracles by the power of who? Beelzebub, the devil. That's in the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. And the Bible says Jesus did miracles by the power of the devil. Do you believe that? I don't. I believe it was said, but who said it? It was the, it was the Pharisees. It was the enemies of Jesus. They were trying to uh, undercut him and make him lose his uh, position among the people. So that statement is true that it was said, but it's not true that it was factual. Because we have to take into consideration who said that. Let me give you another one. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19, there were some people who said that Jesus was a drunk and a glutton. Is that true? No. Now, it's true that they said it, but it wasn't true about Jesus. But again, it was his enemies who, who said that about him. We've got to know who says the things that are said in the Bible. Mark 16 and verse 64, Jesus was accused to be a blasphemer. When they were going to kill him, put him on the cross, there were people who said, he blasphemed God. Jesus never did anything of the sort. But there's that statement in the Bible that Jesus was a blasphemer. Who said it? Again, it was false witnesses. So we've got to ask ourselves, number one, well, who said the statement that is under consideration? The second thing is, well, who's being addressed? Who's being talked to? Like, for instance, in how many of you have kept the Sabbath lately? Mm, we, we, we're not doing that, right? How come? The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Doesn't the Bible say that? Exodus 20 and verse 8. So you all just like into not doing what the Bible says or what? Well, why haven't you done that? Because who was it said to? It was said to the Israelites, Exodus 20 and verse 8. This is to you and to your children. We're not Israelites living under the old law. So, you know, though that statement was made, it wasn't made to me. How about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? When he said, um, what must I have, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, so all you have and give to the poor, come and follow me. All right. I think everybody here wants to be a follower of Jesus. So have you sold all you have and given to the poor? No, we, we haven't. Well, why not? That's what Jesus said. Yes, it is. But he said it to a man that had a problem with money and riches. He didn't say that to everybody. He was speaking specifically to a man whose heart he knew. 
Genesis 6 and verse 14, God told, uh, well, there's a command, you can read it, build an ark of gopher wood. Have you started yours yet? (laughs) No. Well, how come? Because that command wasn't given to you, it was given to, to Noah. So we have to know who's speaking, we have to know uh, who he's speaking to. We, we even have to know when, when, when was this written. Let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians 12, the church had miraculous gifts. They could do some really neat stuff. I mean, they could heal the sick. Wouldn't that be cool if you could literally do that, if, if God gave you that gift, and, and you could just go and, and lay your hands on somebody that was dying or dead, and you could raise them from the dead or make them well, uh, how, how amazing that would have been. They had gifts like that, speaking in tongues, miracles, all these kind of things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul gives an instruction to the church, and that instruction is this, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. When's the last time you said, Lord, Please let me do miracles. Please give me spiritual gifts. Let me raise the dead. Let me heal the sick. Let me interpret tongues. Give me the gift of speaking in tongues. We haven't, we haven't obeyed that command. It, it's right there in the Bible. Desire, I mean earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But here's what we have to take into consideration. When was that written? That was written at a time when spiritual gifts were available. Um, those weren't intended for all time for all men, but it had a, 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 an expiration date on them. And we're past that, so I would have to take that into consideration. Or how about um, when we preach the gospel, I'd say most of us in here are Gentiles. But Jesus said, don't go to the Gentiles, go to the Jews. Well, then what, what, how do we make sense of that? Because when Jesus said it, it was his plan at the beginning to go to the Jew first, then to the Greek. We're past that time. And so uh, the, when it was written is important. And, and then why was it given? That has impact as well. Why did God say what he said? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, I thank God I baptized none of you. Really? Why would a preacher ever thank God for not baptizing people? Well, he tells us, lest you say that I baptized in my name. Um, There were divisions. Everybody had their favorite preacher. And Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize you all because you'd be saying, you know, I'd be a source of division. That's why he said it. So those things matter. Context matters. And then let me real quickly at the very end here give you one more principle, and it's figurative language. Sometimes I've had people ask, and maybe you've had your friends ask, do you you take the Bible literally? If you were to ask me that, I would say, no, I don't. I take the Bible literarily. You see, the Bible is has many genres of literature in it. There are some things that should be understood literally, and there are some things that should be understood literarily. 
In other words, not every statement in the Bible should be viewed as literal. Well, how do we know the difference? It's in the same way you know how to talk to your friends. And it's, it's, it's something that we just, we get. Somebody said it this way. I had a teacher at Fried Hardeman who said this, and it's always stuck in my head. And you might want to write it down, and you may, I'm, I'll say it twice so you can get it. If the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense lest it result in nonsense. I think that's really good advice. If the normal sense makes good sense, seek no other sense lest it results in nonsense. Like, let me give you an illustration of what I mean by that. If my wife said, Steve, we're out of milk. I'm making mashed potatoes. I need some milk. Run to the store and get some milk. So I run to the store and I say, okay, what was it I'm supposed to get? Oh, she said, "Get, get milk. I wonder what she meant by that. Get milk. Well, milk comes from cows and maybe she's wanting beef. You know, see, that would be foolish. If the normal sense makes good sense, then don't seek some other figurative understanding. You know what my wife wants if she tells me to go to the store and get some milk? She wants some milk. You know, it's that simple. And, and the same thing is true with Jesus. You don't go figurative unless the context demands it. Um, if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. Listen, you can pluck both your eyes out, but you'll still be able to sin, won't you? That's not the point that Jesus was making then. Jesus was saying we need to go to extreme lengths to get sin out of our lives. It's, it's figurative in that context. Um, and it doesn't just simply throw interpretation up in the air if we'll follow that, that rule. Uh, I, these are just three principles this morning. Um, understanding figurative language, understanding the Bible literarily and not just literally. If we remember context and how important that is, and if we remember this, that if I don't have authority, if nowhere does the Bible say you're allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do it. If we can understand those basic rules We'll go a long way in understanding the Bible and being good students of hermeneutics. I appreciate your attention. Man, thank you, Steve. If you think about how many different people have gone so many different directions when it comes to Scripture... It's because they violated what Steve just talked to us about. So many people go so many different directions simply because they're not following these very simple principles that Steve gave to us. Uh, If you haven't already encountered this as teenagers, you will very, very shortly. Um, Thank you very much. That was practical, it was easy, it was down to earth. Um, We're indebted to you. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will uh, take a break. Next session will begin at 10 o'clock. Father God, we love you and we're grateful to be your children. We're grateful for your son. We're grateful for the opportunity to be here to uh, better ourselves, to grow closer with you and with each other. And we're thankful for 
uh, the abilities that you've blessed our brother Steve with. Pray that we take it to heart and apply these uh, principles of taking your word and and uh, doing what you would like us to do with it. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity of this lectureship and for the leaders that are, are guiding it and over it. Um, thankful for these young men and women for their desire to, to glow, grow closer to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. See you at 10 o'clock. Thank you.